Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to look at the account of the Magi uh, coming to visit the baby Jesus. This was not on, you know, to the traditional Christmas morning. This would have been months, Some scholars wonder if it was maybe even a couple of years after Jesus was born. Um, but our focus is on the wise men. Uh, so if you have your place in Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. Would you stand in honor of God's Word? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Lord, would you add your blessing to the reading and hearing and receiving of your word this Christmas morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Uh, Let me just make one observation for starters that um, this this is a great gift to us. On all the gifts that we're going to open today, or maybe you've already torn through your your, your wrapping paper, I don't know. Uh, We have God's word. Uh, and it reveals to us Jesus. Um, it reveals to us God's plan through Jesus to bring uh, exceeding joy uh, to all people, to us and to all the nations. And really, that's what uh, the visit of the Magi demonstrate. It's God's heart for the nations to know the joy of this salvation that would, that would come through Jesus. So um, they're coming to worship the King of Kings, and you know, the, 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 some of the Christmas lore and even what we sing would have us believe that these are three kings coming to worship the, the King of Kings. Um, you know, in verses one and two, we, we understand after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, uh, these uh, magi come, the wise men, uh, to Jerusalem, and they're asking, Where is he who's been born King of the Jews? So you've got uh, Jesus, the king of the Jews, you've got Herod, the, the king of the Jewish people, you know, for, for his reign. And then you've got what some of the, you know, 
of course, scholars want to say uh, might be these three royal figures, other kings. A lot of, lot of royalty going on here. Um, they, they are traditionally understood to be astrologers or, you know, wise men or magi um, is the word in the Greek, actually. And that comes from a Persian word. The, the Greek word has an entomology of its own. It comes out of Persia or Iran. So it's possible that these, these figures uh, were Persian. Uh, and there's a huge ancient history of astrology and astronomy uh, that come out of Persia. So that seems to hold a lot of weight. Um, but they were not content, uh, as we looked at last week, you know, we were talking about, they weren't just sort of going, wow, what a, what a strange sight, what an interesting, you know, star, and let's, you know, write some scholarly article to, you know, some astrophysicist journal, you know, and, and just talk about it. They decided to go see for themselves what birth was so significant that it would change the heavens and, and what birth was so significant that it would change the world and what birth is so significant that it would change them and, and us, right? So that's, that's really something significant to take away from the fact that these men travel for months and maybe longer from some distant place and, you know, maybe it's Persia, maybe it's Babylon, um, but it's far away and they, they make this long, long journey. Um, you know, they, they could have been uh, from Babylon because of the Jewish community that was in Babylon and they would have had the scrolls, they would have had you know, the prophecies about this king of the Jews whose birth the star was indicating. So, um, but we, what we don't know um, either is whether they were royalty. I, I know we talk about them as, as kings, and one of the church fathers, I think it was uh, Tertullian, uh, was the first to kind of make that theory popular, that they're, yeah, they're kings, and they're coming under King Herod's reign to worship the king of kings, who's going to you know, be the Israel's true king. And, and it's, not, it's not out of the blue that people imagine that these are royal figures because so many places uh, in the Old Testament we're told about the nations and, and specifically the kings of the nations that would come to Israel's king. Psalm 68 says, because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Psalm 72 says, may the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. And may all kings fall down before him, that all nations serve him. Uh, and the, you know, Palumbos were reading in the call to worship from Isaiah 60, and the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising uh, lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together. They, they come to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. Uh, and then it gets even more explicit. A multitude of camels shall come to you. And those from Sheba shall come and they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. So you can see, right? It's not kind of too far-fetched to imagine these would have been kings, some kind of royalty from Babylon, from Persia, who knows who were coming. Um, the other thing we don't really know is how many. 
you know, we, we talk about we three kings, et cetera, and it sort of seems like, well, you've got gold, frankincense, and myrrh, so maybe there's one gift per king, you know, ta-da, three kings. You know. But you need, to, you need to recognize that to travel as far as they did in that day and age, and then let's assume that, yeah, they, uh, they are probably prominent figures, they have some means, they have some resources, and let's just assume they are royalty of some sort or whatever, they would have an entire entourage. On the front of your bulletin, and, and we've got a slide, I think, in color, uh, from an artist from the end of the 19th century, James Tissett, did wonderful, wonderful uh, biblical images. And, and this is, you know, the journey of the Magi, as he imagines them, you know, and there, of course, are the, the, the three Magi. But look at the retinue, you know, their entire parade, you know, making this long, long journey uh, to Jerusalem, ultimately, uh, to Bethlehem. So um, just considering the fact that, that we don't know exactly where they're from, we don't exactly know their identity, even though there's all kinds of lore about them, what we do know is that they represent the nations. They represent the world, not just Israel, but the world coming to pay homage to the King of Kings. And we do know that they're referred to as magi, as, as wise men. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews, they asked, for we saw his star when it rose in the east and have come to worship him. Why were the magi studying the stars? Like, presumably they and, and other uh, ancient people we're hoping to learn more about the world, uh, more about their world and the future uh, that it was, that was coming. They wanted to make sense of reality, right? Why would they do this? Well, if we knew what was coming, just like ancient people and modern people alike, you know, if we know what's coming, we can better prepare for you know, a, a coming natural, you know, uh, occurrence. Maybe it's a natural disaster or maybe it's a bumper crop. Who knows? But you can prepare. Or if you know a new, a new king is coming, you can sort of prepare. You can sort of play some politics perhaps. But, but if you know what's coming, you can align your life with that reality. And you can make decisions and you can choose some things and not choose other things so that you know, you can flourish under that reality. So the ancient people were, were trying to understand reality for the same reasons that any of us try to make sense out of what's real because we're trying to make life work. We're, we're looking for ways to flourish in light of the way reality works. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the practice of understanding reality in order to conform to it, in order to flourish in light of it. It's why we don't put apple juice in our, in our gas tanks, right? Because there's just a way that life works. And when we conform with that, we flourish. Things end up working the way they're supposed to be. And we don't experience as much brokenness. So we're the same as these ancient people. It's why, it's why we study things. It's why, it's why NASA's trying to put together another mission to Mars, right? We just want to learn. We want to grow in understanding of the universe. We want to understand our universe, our little micro-universe better so that we can flourish. People pursue wisdom in order to have 
better lives. And the Bible unapologetically says that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. You want to understand reality? Worship God. Bow before Him. Put Him as the center of your compass and calibrate everything in your life, in your heart, in your mind to Him as true north. That's what wisdom is in the Bible. People can disagree with that, see how life goes for them, but biblically, historically, for millennia and for as, as long as in, until Christ returns. This is what wisdom on earth is going to look like. Paul, uh, Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God. So Jesus is the wisdom of God in the flesh. That's whose birth we're celebrating today. Um, I don't know maybe how most of us conceive of, of, of true wisdom, but it really is not dependent on things like advanced degrees or professional titles. It's, it's not directly correlated to how much money someone has or how much success they've experienced. What made the Magi truly wise wasn't maybe their royal status or you know, their astrological you know, knowledge and so on. Really what made them wise was their recognition of reality. They came and they worshiped at the feet of wisdom incarnate. That made them wise. That made them magi. And any of us are magi too. When we come and we worship Jesus. God's heart is for all people and all lands to rejoice exceedingly with great joy, just like the magi did when they understood who Jesus was. God wants all people everywhere to pray with gladness what we pray every time we get together for, for worship, right? When we pray as Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. For somebody to, to, to hallow God's name, it's an old way of saying, make his name holy. That his name would be precious to us. That his name would be cherished to us. So that his name would, would bring us joy to know his name, to know Jesus. That's wisdom to pray that prayer with joy, to find Jesus as the end of our pursuits of everything that we're trying to do to make life work. Uh, there's an old catechism, Anglican catechism, that asks, what desirest thou of God in this prayer, in the Lord's prayer? And the answer goes like this, I desire my Lord God, our heavenly Father, who is the giver of all goodness to send his grace unto me and to all people that we may worship him, serve him, and obey him as we ought to do. It's a great description of what wisdom looks like, of what it looks like to be magi what it looks like to have joy and gladness, exceeding joy and great gladness at the feet of Jesus. God wants to bring joy to the world. That's his plan. That's his plan from the ages, to send us a savior, to bring us good news and you know, glad tidings of great joy that would be for all people, 
This is the blessing that God has for us through Jesus. Jesus is the world's greatest blessing. He's, you know, if you think about his uh, universal appeal, um, you know, we, we could compare him, and, and I've, I've said this before, so forgive me if I'm being redundant to some of you, but, but if you think about what makes any work of art great, it's, it's not that, um, you know, some, some elite group of art critics in New York or, you know, someplace in Paris or wherever, you know, get together and decide, well, you know, we, we want this particular artist to be elevated. And so we're going to send out all of our publicity and, you know, let the world know that this is a truly great artist. And, you know, his or her art is really, you know, worth buying and displaying and, you know, collecting and so on. It's not that a, a small group of elite critics get together and do that. Or it's not that, you know, some obscure piece of art is found and sells for millions of dollars at Sotheby's or wherever because, you know, it's some, some people arbitrarily assign value to it. You know what makes an artist or his or her work of art great? The more people from more backgrounds and more nations and more traditions universally agree this is praiseworthy. That's what makes art great. Is the, the, the more varied and diverse the backgrounds are of the people that praise that artist or that artwork, that's what makes it lasting and enduring. That's what makes it classic. That's what makes it a standard to compare others by. And so apply that rule to Jesus. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every language finds him admirable, finds him beautiful. Even skeptics agree. You know, they'll say, well, I'm not sure about him being the son of God and the savior of the world and so on, but what a wonderful man, right? And we can talk about, well, you're not praising him enough, you know, if that's your conclusion. There's, there's plenty more to him to know. But still, it seems like everywhere you go, people say, well, you know, I'm not sure about Christianity, but I love Jesus. Jesus is great. And he has this universal appeal. And, and so that's what's so remarkable here is in this passage in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. So it's not just Herod, but like the whole city is troubled. And they're assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he's inquiring when the Christ was to be born. And they're, pro they're, they're going to quote from Micah, the prophet Micah, chapter 5. And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Ju Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. What makes Jesus so universally beautiful and wonderful is the fact that he is the shepherd the world needs. I don't care where you go, and anthropologists will tell you it doesn't matter what point in history or, you know, ancient civilizations and modern. There are universal things that we need. We need people in our lives who will look after us. We need people in our lives who will protect us. We need people in our lives at various times in our lives who will provide for us. We need people in our lives who will save us. 
who will save our lives. Biblically, the way to describe such a person is a shepherd. We need shepherds. And modern and ancient cultures all agree, yeah, we do. And that's why you've got shepherds of various forms in governments and first responders and teachers and in parents and in, you know, you name it, you name it. There are shepherds among us. There's shepherds right here in this room. We need shepherds. And Jesus comes along and he's, he's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd, right? The one that the, the world longs for, maybe they don't recognize yet, but every desire, every longing, every, every hope for, for provision, for, for, for salvation, for protection, for, you know, for love is ultimately going to be found in Jesus. In John chapter 10, Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, does that sound like gladness to you? Does that sound like joy, maybe? And I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In Matthew 9, Jesus is described as someone who has compassion uh, for the crowds because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He, he's the good shepherd, the blessing that God wants to bring to his people, the blessing that the Magi had discovered, and they're bowing before him and altering their lives in order to, to worship him. Um, and so the world can receive this blessing through Jesus, the one who lays down his life for the sheep, the one who went to a cross in order to save his sheep, in order to protect his sheep, in order to provide for his sheep. And all and any who look to Jesus and his atoning sacrifice to take our sins away, to remove our guilt, to remove our shame, and to bring us back into God's presence, to bring us back into his sheepfold. Isaiah talks about, we are like sheep who have all gone astray, each to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all his people. That's what the cross was about. Jesus, our good shepherd, laying down his life, sacrificing himself, for our benefit, for our gladness. And then rising from the dead to conquer any and every threat that could ever be aligned against his sheep. And yeah, we're still in the, the in-between time, but a day is coming when Christ returns and there will be no more death and crying and pain. There will be no more threat to God's sheep. This is the blessing that is ours through Jesus. This is a blessing that anybody can receive, that any nation can receive, any people group can receive, and it's the, the blessing that is ours through faith in Jesus. But did you notice, just kind of wrapping up here in verse 12, that there's a warning, not just a blessing, but a warning tied into this whole episode with the Magi. The very last verse in verse 12, we're told that they were, being, they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. And they departed to their own country by another way. What? Why, why would they be warned not to return to Herod? Probably you know why. Probably you know the story. But hey, look, if, if you're new to the church or new to the Bible or new to the, like the real meaning of Christmas, uh, let me explain that Herod was pretending 
to want to worship Jesus. She told the Magi, go, go, go find him and then come tell me so I can go worship him too, right? Fingers crossed. Because what Herod wanted more than anything was to remain king of the Jews. And here come the Magi saying, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? Herod, where's the one who was born to be your replacement? And we won't have any of that. No, thank you. So further on in verse 16, if you've still got Matthew chapter 2 open, Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, you know, they skirted out of town another way, he became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that, all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. How's that for a Christmas story? Here's this warning, right? God's heart is for all people from all lands to rejoice exceedingly with great joy in Jesus. And the great irony of the Christmas story is that those who were Jesus' own people, you know, by, by nationality, rejected him, were threatened by him, wanted to kill him. And then, you know, they succeeded 33 years later. The story of Scripture is that there is always opposition to God and His anointed King. And there will always be opposition to us, His Magi, His ambassadors. Jesus warned His own people, like in contemporary terms, He, he would be warning us, church people, against hardening their heart and calling, you know, instead the foreign nations to bear witness to how His own people rejected Him. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 12 that the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. He's talking about himself. and He's saying, look at the example of Nineveh. They repented, but Jerusalem isn't. And then he says that the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, Something greater than Solomon is here, wisdom incarnate, right? The wisdom of God in the flesh. So there will always be opposition to the baby in the manger. There will always be opposition to Christ's blessing, God's blessing through Christ. And we see this all around us. And, you know, it's, we're no strangers to sort of the opposition to wishing people a Merry Christmas, right? But look, insisting that Jesus is the reason for the season is not the best strategy. Our goal is not to win some Christian culture war. In light of the opposition to Jesus, our goal is to help people to see the beauty of Jesus. We want them to be genuinely happy with his birth, genuinely happy about his birthday, not corrected and put in their place, you know because they don't want us to wish them a Merry Christmas. So how, how can we do this? As, as we're you know, moving on, to, it's going to be December 26th before we know it, and it's going to be a new year before we know it, and, and, and we want people to rejoice as we do. We want people to find Jesus to be the great blessing that we find him to be. We want more people to become magi. We want more nations to, to become magi. Why? and how we live. How can we do this? It would be really, really helpful if, if we can remember, if I can remember, if you can remember, that our best strategy is not arguing 
with people. It's not winning an argument, it's loving them. It's loving them and showing them the, the, the same humility that Jesus shows in his very birth. And the way that he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, his right to assert, to, you know, to assert, but instead made himself nothing, took on the form of a servant, right? Even submitted himself to death, dying to himself, truly, ultimately. So our best argument is not arguing. It's loving. And, and, and to keep our joy. We've been spending a lot of time the past couple of months talking about joy for the world, joy to the world about not looking at joy as something accidental, something, you know, that we should apologize for. Well, you know, joy seems superficial, right? If you're a Christian, you should be concerned about more important things, more significant things, more mature things. No. Our joy is this fantastic apologetic for Jesus. People see our joy and they see the joy of God. They see the reflection of a, of a happy Savior in our joy. And it doesn't mean that, as we said along, that we paint plastic smiles on our faces. But we pursue joy. We, we pursue happiness in Christ. We pursue the, the love that God has for us that makes us joyful, genuinely, and gives us the kind of hope and perseverance to move through trials and pain and suffering in a way that doesn't overcome us, but, but lets us come up for heirs. Men and women and children who are joyful because God loves us. So keep your joy in Jesus and don't let, <laughs> don't let our culture make you angry that it doesn't celebrate Christmas. Show them the happy difference that his birth means in your life. Um, my my father-in-law sent me this poem this past week and He's like, Essen, you should use this at the end of your sermon. I'm like, oh, okay, Paul. You know, like, uh, sure. But it actually was good, so I'm going to use it. Why not? Um, it, it's a poem by Howard Thurman, and it's called When the Song of the Angels is Still. And I was like, this is great. This is, this is discipleship. This is what it means to wake up on December 26th and still celebrate the birth of our Savior. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people, to make music in the heart. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the work of Christmas, uh, the work of the Magi, the, the work of wisdom uh, to go and find Jesus and to bow before him and to, to pray for your name to be hallowed, to pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, in us as it is in heaven, among the nations as it is in heaven. And so we pray that you would find us happy in Christ, satisfied in who he is for us, glad for our good shepherd who provides for us, who leads us, who protects us, who saves us, who lays down his life for us. 
And Lord, would you uh, help us as magi uh, going into the world and helping others become wise in the way that they live so that they can know the joy of knowing Jesus. Lord, help us to be your hands and your feet. Help us to live the kinds of lives that show others the reality and the difference that you have made in our own lives. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the gift of a Savior. Thank you for the gift of his word. Thank you for the gift of a church. Thank you for the gift of uh, beloved people uh, to celebrate your birth with. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.